Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast is brought to you by Goliath Technologies and Liquidware. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you have them to thank. Now let's start with some news. We start the news this week with a couple of data breaches. One which may not have been too bad, but the other potentially massive. Let's start with the prior. First, TechCrunch.com reported that two months ago, NASA quietly fixed a buggy server that was a source leaking sensitive data about the agency staff and their work. Ironically, the server in question was for a bug reporting system that leveraged the popular Jira software. Jira was not configured fully or correctly, and so accessing the software was possible without a password. The issue got addressed and fixed within three weeks of it being reported to the agency. So obviously this isn't going to affect too many people, but if you work for NASA, I guess it, it could be a concern. It's also worth highlighting because more and more companies are implementing Jira and platforms that rely on it. So for sure, don't just do out-of-box configuration and leave things unmanaged or not configured. At this time, there is no evidence that the data was used in any malicious way, and unfortunately NASA were unable to comment on the story due to the US government shutdown. Now onto the one that's going to be concerning to a lot more people, not just NASA employees. Earlier this week, the great Troy Hunt tweeted an image, pretty worrying image, about a breach he discovered, or was told about really, that had a SQL error when trying to run queries on it, suggesting that the data was massive. It was so big that the query couldn't execute. Troy has since updated with a blog post and gone through some of the figures. This particular breach is being referred to or called collection number one. This breach used something called credential stuffing. If you follow the show each week, you may recall me talking about a story of Citrix forcing Citrix share file password changes to counter a potential security issue related to credential stuffing. But in short, credential stuffing is the automated injection and pairing of username, password, emails, etc gained from a data breach in order to fraudulently gain access to user accounts on any number of services. Basically using data sourced from a different breach and automating trying your username, your email and password combinations against a bunch of different services. And of course, most people will not have unique passwords for every single service or site they're signed up for. Collection number one appears to contain a set of email addresses and passwords totaling over two and a half billion rows with a total of 1.16 billion unique combinations of email addresses and passwords. So this is massive. The number of unique email addresses totaled more than 770 million and the number of unique passwords stands around 21.2 million. The data itself was contained in over 12,000 files and was over 87 gigs in size. Troy reports that it appears there are multiple sources for these usernames and passwords as multiple different databases and types of databases were in the cache discovered by the security community. A breach takes a long time to actually confirm as legitimate and so right now this is an alleged breach. However. Troy does state that he found an email address belonging to him in the data and the password was an old password he did use many years ago. So this does seem like it could be legit. Troy's great site, Have I Been Pooned, has been updated to reflect this breach. You should definitely check that site out and put in your email address to see if you are vulnerable and get directions to follow to secure yourself. 
It's also a good idea to turn on notifications for this free resource. If your email address is discovered in a future breach, you'll get an email to tell you about it. Also, if you appreciate the free service and work from Troy, please do donate a little bit. His donation page is actually pretty cool. He's got a list of different items that you could donate to him based off their value. And Troy, if you're listening, enjoy that six pack I sent you. Sticking with security related stories, Microsoft announced an Azure DevOps bug bounty program and will be offering up to $20,000 for high severity bugs. In the security conference space, there's been some sad news this week. The very popular security conference DarbyCon will not be held after its 2019 event, which will be DarbyCon 9. Unfortunately, it appears the conference organizers have been dealing with some very unfortunate issues related to adults acting horribly to attendees, which seems to be a trend at tech conferences, which I feel really needs to be addressed. And while addressing some bad apples in the tech community, segue, there was a pretty upsetting story that unfolded over the weekend. Chloe Condon, the amazing Microsoft dev advocate who has got pretty strong online presence, shared a very surreal series of tweets. She was notified of a very strange Instagram post on the account of T Medlin, T-E-E-M-E-D-L-I-N. The post in question featured a picture of Chloe which went viral about three years ago, which was ironically the featured image in her article about being a woman in tech industry. But under the picture, the text suggested this was recent and that this woman, being Chloe, was following this guy around, asking questions and telling him all about her life. He even joked that she was a shadow and that if he goes missing to tell the police about this woman. Quite rightly, when Chloe looked at this, she was pretty infuriated. And as things revealed themselves, others in the tech community, so way to go all those people, started digging into this dude's social media accounts and found some other suspect doctor looking photos, including a strange one where he seemed to be photoshopped beside Seth Rogen, the actor. Chloe then tagged Seth on Twitter who replied to say, this guy is nuts. Chloe being the class act that she is, wrote a blog post about just this surreal set of events and encouraged people not to be like too hard on the guy. He could suffer from mental illness. And the account in question has since posted stating that the account was hacked and was taken over by a disgruntled person and that the account holders lawyers were now involved and would be taking care of the matter. So a major reason for me covering this story in this episode, I wasn't really going to do it because it doesn't really fall in line with what I usually cover on the podcast, but with the story about DarbyCon not going ahead in 2020 and in the future, and then this with Chloe, I thought it would be interesting to people in the tech community out there. Personally, I feel we can all do a lot better than attacking women in tech who themselves were just victims of lies and false allegations like some people were doing to Chloe when this started getting attention started going viral. Rather than showing shock and outrage about what was happening to her, they were using the opportunity to attack her. We could all afford to be a lot nicer. Following up on some of the stories from last week about Windows 7 and Server 2008 are two issues. Wouldn't you know it? The issues have been fixed in a patch released as part of the January Patch Tuesday. KB4487345 is the all-important patch that you'll want to make sure that you install on your Windows 7 Server 2008 R2 machines. 
Google have raised their G Suite prices with the basic subscription moving to $6 per month per user and business moving to $12 per month per user. The enterprise subscription remains the same at $25 per user per month. I wanted to look up how that compares to Office 365. Frankly, I've never had to support or deploy the G Suite in enterprise. I know it's more popular in education, but how it lined up with Office 365 on pricing. Well, Office 365 currently, their enterprise E3 and E5 stand at $20 per month and $35 per month. IOPS.ca featured some info on the new NetApp ONTAP 9.5, which is now generally available. The primary new features include new flex cache, which accelerates performance for key workloads with read caching across a cluster and at remote sites. It should produce greater performance. SnapMirror Synchronous protects critical applications with synchronous replication. MetroCluster IP enhancements reducing cost for business continuity. And Fabric Pool now supports automated cloud tiering for flex group volumes. This week, ExtraHop announced that it has surpassed $100 million in bookings. They were bolstered by 10 times growth in cybersecurity in the second half of the year. I mentioned ExtraHop quite a bit on the podcast because I take an interest and I follow them because I'm just overwhelmed by how amazing their product is, having got to use it myself. And it really saved my butt during the WannaCry outbreak, the fact that I could use the data from that and get real-time detection and reporting. I posted a blog about how I used ExtraHop for detecting what traffic on our network was using uh, SMB v1 so we could take an educated decision on whether or not to disable SMB1. I'll share a link to that article with this episode, which is episode 55 on 5bytespodcast.com under resource links and also in the YouTube description. ICT-R have posted another great performance analysis article, this time comparing performance of 32-bit and 64-bit versions of Office. If you're deciding which path to go down and wondering if it's finally time to make that jump to 64-bit, this is for you. And frankly, if you're not, well, the default is soon going to be 64-bit, so you may want to look at this anyways. I was pretty surprised by the results. I was hoping for a larger disparity between the two, with 64-bit being an obvious choice. That's not the case, but it does have significant gains in some areas. And like always, I don't want to give away people's work. I don't want to just tell you everything you need to know about those in the community's content. So hopefully that's a suitable teaser and you can go check it out. I'll provide a link for this with the episode. And now for this episode's hot job. I promised to highlight some remote work opportunities as I saw them. And this week I read an article about GitLab's philosophy of no offices in all remote work. And sure enough, they have a bunch of open posts to fill, ranging from everything from support to management to finance. You'll see on their site, they have some opportunities that are remote but need to be based in a certain geographic location, like DC for one of them, whereas many others don't specify a region. Interestingly, when I was looking through some of the posts, I saw that there was a position for a system admin and one of the requirements is experience with Google Google Cloud Platform and G Suite. 
I just found that interesting, so I thought I'd share. Not really too relevant to all of the job opportunities, but there you go. And now for a new segment I'm trying out, the weekly webinar. When starting the podcast, I figured this would be a good platform for those who don't really have time to read through every single interesting article they might come across in a given week. I definitely found myself seeing interesting stuff on Twitter, opening it, leaving the tab open, but never having a chance to read it. So I figured, hey, I'll take the time to read these and then regurgitate them on this podcast. And those without the time will be able to just get it in a easy to digest chunk. Well, I was thinking, I get a lot of emails and see a lot of tweets and posts and what have you from different vendors on their webinars. But I kind of dismiss those types of emails because you get so many of them, they're like spam. So what if I actually took the time to read those and told you guys about some of the more interesting ones that I see? So that's the idea behind this new segment. If you think it sucks, let me know and I won't do it again. So virtual infrastructure monitoring is pretty near and dear to my heart because I spend so much of my day going through environments. And I saw that EG Innovations will be holding a webinar on Thursday, January 24th. This 30-minute webinar, which was also a reason it interested me, it's not an hour of time, it's only 30 minutes, will provide a quick overview of the key steps to take to assure the performance of digital business services as applications are migrated to various cloud services and show some examples of how you can retain end-to-end visibility along the way. Both EG Innovations and Goliath Technologies have been sending some pretty interesting emails early this year. It looks like they're really cranking it up to 11 on trying to be competitive with other vendors in this space. So if you're at a company and your monitoring isn't working for you and you want to look at something else, now's a really good time because they're offering very competitive pricing and deals. And in some cases, you can actually exchange your existing monitoring licenses to their monitoring license and the first year is free. That sounds like an advertisement for them, but I was really surprised when I saw that vendors were offering that kind of deal. So I figured it was worth highlighting. I've been stuck with a monitoring tool before that was useless (laughs) and it's very difficult to get a business to sign off on buying something else when you're already paying for a product that you might've only got one or two years ago. So if that sounds like you, you may want to check out this webinar. Now for this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. CNBC.com of all sites had an article about something I wasn't aware of, and that is the Microsoft Font Maker app in the Microsoft Store. The app gives you a keyboard display. You can click on any and all of the letters in this keyboard display. And then if you grab a stylus for your Windows 10 touchscreen device, you can write the letter and for say A, B, C, whatever, you know know what the alphabet is. So you're replacing the A key on this little keyboard display with your own A, however you write it, be it capital A or lowercase a. Then you do that for all the letters on this keyboard and you'll have a font that is your own handwriting. I think it's pretty nifty. It could be handy for signatures where they don't give you an option to use something like DocuSign or ShareFile for doing an actual digital signature in the document. You know, that pain in the ass where you have to print it, 
manually sign it, scan it, and send it back? Well, what if you could just write out your signature as it is in your own handwriting? They likely wouldn't tell the difference. Also, it could be cool if you wanted to write up a blog post or a document and just have it seem more personal. And that's it for another episode. As always, thank you guys so much for listening.